After years of postponing cuts to Medicare payments prescribed by the Sustainable Growth Rate Formula, known as the SGR, Congress passed the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act, or MACRA, last month. The law repeals the SGR and replaces it with a new method of compensating physicians under Medicare that will include merit-based incentive payments. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. I'm talking with Henry Aaron, a senior fellow in the Economic Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. Dr. Aaron has written a perspective article on the end of the SGR and the new system Congress has installed in its place. Dr. Aaron, what were the main problems with the SGR? Were the fee cuts it ended up requiring just too large, or was the policy misguided in other ways as well? The answer is yes and yes. The cuts that the formula called for were so large that Congress recognized that implementing them would have catastrophic effects on the willingness of physicians to participate in Medicare and indeed on the adequacy of payments to physicians uh, quite apart from their willingness to participate. The reason for that was that the formula was flawed. It was a mechanical formula that linked the increase in fees that could be paid under Medicare Part B uh, to a number of factors, one of which was the rate of growth of gross domestic product. So when gross domestic product began to grow slowly early in the 2000s, a gap opened up. The formula had the effect of slowing down the authorized increase in physician fees. The way the formula worked was that if actual fees exceeded what the formula called for in any given year, then the adjustment next year had to pull the fee level back to where it should have been under the formula. And if Congress decided that it didn't want to allow those cuts to go into effect, the formula didn't forget. It stored them up and then came back next year and said, you'll have to make the adjustment for those cuts that weren't made, plus any additional cuts that the formula might generate subsequently. So the result was that the size of the cuts that were indicated rose to in excess of 20%. And members of Congress knew they really couldn't allow those cuts to take effect. So each year they would pass a one-year fix saying, well, we'll do it next year, but not this year. And as I say, the formula didn't forget. So what the formula called for doing next year was still larger than the cuts that Congress had been unwilling to make. Well, this went on for years with the gap growing ever larger. And then two things happened this year that allowed a deal to get struck, not only to own up to the fact that the cuts would, in fact, never be implemented, but also to replace the formula with something that it is hoped will be more sustainable and will work better. Those two facts were that because of the recovery from the Great Recession, GDP has done reasonably well and spending under Medicare and for health care in general has slowed down for reasons that nobody has an entirely persuasive explanation for. So the gap shrank some, and the estimated cost measured in terms of the additional outlays that would have to be made if these fee cuts weren't made shrank somewhat this year. And the second thing was the emergence, really quite surprising, of a willingness on the part of Congress 
to engage in the good old tried and true political practice of log rolling, the willingness of people who hold different views on particular issues to reach a compromise where each side would get something it wanted in return for granting the other side something that it wanted. And that's what we got this year, a combination of provisions, some of which have considerable appeal to Republicans, some of which have considerable appeal to Democrats, and some of which actually have appealed to both because they recognized in a bipartisan way that something really needed to be done. Some of those provisions introduce this merit-based incentive payment system that's going to assess physician performance in four areas, quality of care, resource use, meaningful use of electronic health records, and clinical practice improvement activities. How much do we know about how performance in those areas is going to be measured? Not a huge amount at this point. There are some general indications in the legislation enacted this year, as you have just indicated, on the four areas where performance is going to be measured. But the specifications, the details, are going to be worked out through regulations that are going to be fashioned in collaboration between CMS and various professional groups. I think it's recognized that this is a delicate and technically complex area, and that at the present time, the regulators don't have all the information they need, or indeed all the buy-in that is going to be necessary from the medical profession for these provisions to be specified now in detail. So what do you see as the timeline for those regulations for the barriers maybe encountered along the way? What do you see in the future? financial incentives that are allowed for or called for in the bill are really quite sizable, the maximum at least. Of course, there's always a range and regulators don't have to give the maximum reward or impose the maximum penalty. But the absolute size is sufficiently large that it's very definitely going to get the attention of physicians. And for that reason, I think there needs to be a pretty thorough exchange of views between the regulators and the profession so that everybody ends up being as nearly on the same page as possible. That's going to play out over the next several years. The incentives don't take full effect until the first half of the next decade. So this is not something that's going to burst suddenly on the medical scene. In a related perspective article, Oberlander and Jones write that the agreement to extend CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, was an important health policy development in this law. But it's extended for two years rather than the four years that the Democrats favored. Again, your crystal ball, what do you think the future holds for CHIP? I tend to be an optimist about the staying power of the major health care legislation that is now on the scene. This is an optimism that is strained, for example, by the budget resolution just agreed to by the House and the Senate. I fully agree with the judgment that this was a very, very important provision, and I think it was one of the major carrots for Democrats to join on to this bill. The reason it's important is that a number of senior Republicans, including the chairman of the Finance Committee, had been calling for sizable reductions in the CHIP program as a condition for its reauthorization. Democrats wanted reauthorization with no changes, 
basically sustain the current program. They wanted a reauthorization for four years, which is the period that authorization occurred before. They were running into some pretty serious headwinds on that, and what happened was they got an agreement in this bill, as you said, for two-year reauthorization, but, and this is the key point, with no cuts. So what I would regard as the major issue, the Democratic position is embodied in this bill. Two years from now, there will be a new president sitting in the White House. You can make your own guesses as to where the sitting president will be based on which party the president comes from. But the point is that for the duration, for the remainder of President Obama's term in office and a bit beyond, uh, the CHIP program is safe and will continue in its present form. And I think that is a major, major achievement given the importance of the program, the number of children who are covered, and the rather serious effects that removing them from the CHIP program would have. They would be forced into the exchanges. Some of them would be, along with their family members, some of them would not be insured at all. And that would be, in my view, a serious negative effect. Finally, what does MACRA mean for the average physician's Medicare compensation levels, and does it create winners and losers among U.S. physicians? Not much so far, in my view. The physicians have been deeply concerned about the sustainable growth rate formula. The cuts that that law called for were large enough to get anybody's attention. My own view is that that concern was exaggerated and misplaced, not because the cuts were desirable, but because Congress understood how undesirable they were and simply was not going to implement them. So in terms of getting rid of the formula, what this new law does is get rid of an annual dance that Congress and the medical profession and other groups have been going through for some time, a dance that in some cases led to legislative including legislative provisions in the suspension of these cuts that were themselves not desirable, that were harmful. So getting rid of this formula, I think, is a great achievement and allows us to look with clearer vision at what I think is a real and continuing concern of members of Congress. There is a widespread belief on both sides of the aisle that the current fee-for-service system based on rather narrowly defined services is undesirable and needs to be replaced. That's some a view I believe that both Republicans and Democrats share. What this law does is formalize in a variety of ways the commitment to begin to try to replace the current system with something else. Now, everybody understands that that's going to put pressure on physicians to organized differently, that the way payments are defined is going to have an important impact on the way in which physicians interact with patients and indeed with each other to the degree that the replacement forms of reimbursement tend to view medical services in larger clumps, payments for conditions rather than for narrowly defined services. So we're on a long journey here. This is an early step. The Affordable Care Act contains some similar incentives to promote changes in the payment system. 
And so I think MACRA should be viewed as Chapter 2 in an effort to nudge physicians into a greater degree of coordination and collaboration in the provision of care. Organization and collaboration that would be involved in direct contractual relationships among physicians rather than simply sending phone calls or copies of procedures done to another physician in order to inform them of what was done. This process is going to go on for a long time, and it's one in which, of course, physicians have to be centrally involved because it's the only way that a set of incentives can be developed, first of all, that they accept, but second of all, well, probably first it should be, that reflect the realities of medical practice and the genuine constraints to which they are subject and of which economists and lawyers who make the laws are not really very well informed. Thank you, Dr. Aaron.